0: did a great job in, in college, so what a joy it was for them to uh, be at camp this past week. Boy, Pastor Carson, we missed you at camp. We did. I mean, it's, it was just not the same, but um, I understand. I was preaching up at the chapel at the time. I understand Luke did a great job. Um, you got mentioned in a skit. Did you know that? Okay. This. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ben Heffernan, he, he was doing an infomercial. He was selling nothing. He said, "Some people try to sell you something. We're selling nothing." And he was going on and on. He had every every pastor that was there. He said, "He said uh, nothing is what Pastor Dale Heffernan does all week in his office." He said, uh, "Nothing is what Pastor Scott Cleaver sings well." I mean, he was just going on. He, he said, uh, "Nothing is what Marcus Heffernan uses for his messages." And then, then what did he say for? Oh, oh <laughs> I'll let you find out in private what he said about the, Okay, so that's. Uh, <laughs> Oh no! It, it was man. He he was getting there, but but uh, Luke kind of felt left out, and he said, "You know, when Mark, when uh, when Ben thought of me, he said nothing came to mind." I guess so. That was, <laughs> that was <laughs> made a big impression on him. So, hey, Psalm 16. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 16. I tell you, coming back here feels like coming back home. I tell you, um, I was telling Pastor Carsey's He's walking in. I said, I, I was. I noticed the bushes, the trees, the grass, I mean, the shrubs, I mean, the downspout. I mean, we, I, it's just amazing. All of the. I've looked at all these pews when they first were installed. And I mean, just every inch of the building, we were looking at blueprints. And it was, it was a joy serving here for 14 years. In fact, I told him, I said, when, when I got the phone call to, to go somewhere else, I didn't want to go anywhere. I, I was, I was, they, they called me, and, and I said, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pray about it. And I was looking for reasons not to go. And uh, really, the Lord kind of knocked all those down. I said, Looks, looks like we're going. But it, it was not our desire. It was not our, our, our longing. In fact, a, a pastor was asking me as senior pastor for the first time. He said, what, what is the hardest thing, or what's the most, um, what is the, the hardest thing to get used to being the senior pastor? And I said, Well, really, it's the teamwork. I love the teamwork. Um, for 14 years, we could talk in his office, and I could have dumb ideas. And he said, Now, have you thought about this? And I said, Oh, I'm glad you said that. Let me rethink that. And so by the time we got got our plan in place, it was it was a well thought out plan. And I thought, I don't have that that uh, check anymore. I, I I have an idea. I, I present it and they say that's a dumb idea, you know. So now I appreciate his wisdom. I appreciate I, I I watch I I would joke and say I used to cause the problems. You have to solve the problems. Now I cause the problems and People leave now because, you know, so that's that's just, you know, part of ministry, you know. But uh, I really enjoyed working with him. I, I think back out of the 14 years, probably the two biggest blunders I made, probably, two biggest blunders was, I think it was the first year I was driving the bus to Challenge, and we went to the, you remember this? Oh, my, oh, my goodness. First year, probably, and I hit a, a stump that was in the grass and crumpled up the door, we're thinking, how are we going to get back to Oklahoma with this crumpled up? By, I, just, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the first year. This, this is going to be bad. But he didn't fire me that year. That was, that was good. <laughs> and then uh, there's, uh, there's another time where, uh, and I was trying to be very, I mean, I wasn't trying to be cute or anything. I remember we're pl- sitting on the platform, and before he says, hey, I got a long message today. Don't spend a lot of time in announcements. Do you remember this? And I got up and said, folks, read your bulletin. Announcements are there. And I sat down. And he looked at his face like, oh. <gasps> Oh, no, no, and I wasn't trying, I thought, man, I'm going to really make him happy then, you know, but it's, anyway, you don't remember that, that's good, Must okay, good, that's, he's probably got other things he remembers that I don't remember, but anyway, that's, I really enjoyed my time here, it's, it's funny, the things that I do, it's like, don't all churches do this? I mean, when I first came, I said, we need to have choir on Sunday nights, so, we don't sing on Sunday nights. You don't sing choir on Sunday night? All churches sing choir on Sunday night, don't they? I mean, this is just normal. I mean, just things that we, we did and enjoyed. I just like, this was just normal. So I, there's so much influence in my ministry from you. So I appreciate that. So thank you. Um, I'm not going to get emotional. I'm going to stay calm tonight. Um, I've seen him <clears throat> talk to um, well-known evangelists or well-known speakers who you would know if I said. And they would say something and he would very kindly and privately say, Now you said this. Have you thought about this verse of scripture? Have you thought about this or that? And, and really they, they, the light bulb kind of came on and they, they said, oh, wow, uh, no, I hadn't really said that. And he, he would influence these men coming through who have influ- had, you know, large influence. So um, I appreciate his faithfulness. You know, I was just thinking, I have served with men who were faithful in ministry. I, I'm not, I, I hear statistics about men who stay in the pastorate for less than three years and they move on to the next, next, uh, next um, pastorate. I'm thinking from my perspective, the hardest two years were the first two years. Once you get past those, then you're kind of in sync and you go on. But uh, a man that's been faithful and other men that I've served with has just been faithful, and I appreciate that. And I have to admit, there's times I check in on Facebook. We're being broadcast now, aren't we? Just, okay, so I have to behave myself and not say say things about other people. I'll hear about these things. But um, I, I do check in every once in a while and see what's going on, and, and uh, it's a joy to uh, to to know Pastor Carson. So thank you for your ministry and for your influence. Camp was fun. We had a lot of fun at camp. Um... I met, I I saw some of you guys, like the choir, I I identified these people. I knew who Elijah was, and I tell you, when he got to camp, I said he sounded like Jason, he talked like Jason, but you're only half the man Jason is now. (laughs) (laughs) The first night, this guy went into all, he's in the senior cabin, the first night, he went into every single of the junior campers' cabins and soaked them with a squirt gun and then ran back to his cabin. I said, you don't do that the first night. You do that the last night, so he's not as bright as Jason was. But that's that's. I got to meet the Wright brothers. Okay, yeah, that was that. Yeah, um, it was great to see them. And then I started. I couldn't believe there's Lydia and uh, and there's let's see and and Luke was there. And then of course the Mobleys came up Tuesday, and I, I saw Emma and uh, J- uh, Daniel and and uh, Joy came up. So I think I saw some of you. So what a, what a joy it was to see you guys, and uh, we we had a great time at camp, and and. Uh, I had a great time, and the Lord sent great weather. Rained in the Friday morning, but it wasn't that bad. Great to have the hits there serving. Um, at, I'm sorry, the the the, uh, the Gilberts. I'm sorry, that's the hits. Yeah, the, the Gilberts there. So, I'm here to preach. Let's let's look at Psalm 16. Psalm 16. I want to preach a message tonight entitled "The Believer's Joyful Contentment." Do you think a believer should be joyful? Do you think he should be content? You say, Well, I don't know. What's what's the news? You know what's it, it, my, my contentment is based on the news... or my, my, uh, my bank account... or how people are treating me or whatever. But really a believer, no matter the circumstances... we should go through our life joyfully content. And I, that's the way you should serve the Lord... no matter what you're asked to do... no matter what your responsibilities are... no matter what leadership says or does... I mean no matter what, the, what party is in, in power... In, in Washington, D.C., no matter who's the governor... no matter whatever happens believers can be joyfully content no matter what. And as we look at this psalm, I really think this expresses this well. The word contentment is not in there. But I, I want to um, give you several reasons uh, why um, David is content. Now first of all, we see in the first, um, the, the heading of the psalm. And let me remind you, that heading is, is, has been there as long as the text. you look at any ancient text, that heading is always there... You can argue whether it's inspired or not. I believe it's intended to be there that we need to know what it is. And it says the heading is a mictam or miktam of David. Not everybody agrees what that is. Um, the miktam—it's the first time in the book of Psalms that we run across this word. Um, Strong says that it's, it's part, it's, it's, uh, you can trace that back, it means to an, an engraving. Other scholars see something that is indelibly, as Strong would say, indelibly etched in stone. Other scholars see it as a derivation of a word that means to cover. And if that's the case, then that would mean something that's mysterious, something that's covered, something you have to explore to find out the depth of this. And in fact, if this is the meaning, it would indicate the richness and the meaning of this psalm. In fact, some have said this might be um, David's best and most profound psalm. That surprised me when I read that. We would think Psalm 23, Psalm 100, some of more familiar psalms. Psalm 16, really, is this the one that is David's um, most profound psalm? In fact, someone has has put a title on this, David's Jewel, or his notable song. Um, this is quoted in the New Testament. We see at the Day of Pentecost, Peter quotes this. Of course, he's quoting verses um, uh, 10 and 11. They're about the, I mean, uh, 9 and 10. They're about the resurrection of Christ. Um, Paul also quotes this, I think it's in Acts 13, so it is quoted in the New Testament. So I want to ask you, as we read this psalm tonight, to whom does this apply? Is it only to Jesus? Did it apply to David? Or is this, does this apply to us? So I am going to read through this psalm and we'll come back and answer those questions here very quickly. Let's read the psalm. Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. O my soul, Thou hast said unto the Lord... That's the all caps Jehovah there. Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Sheol. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I'll preach by the clock tonight because uh, there is so much in this psalm. And I have to admit, as I um, read this psalm, I've been going through a series of this. I knew what was coming. I'd read a psalm, and, and this, is, this is bad to admit, is it not? I'd read a psalm and say, boy, what, what in the world am I going to preach out of that psalm? That seems pretty, pretty cut and dry there. And it seems to be the case as, it, as almost in any passage of scripture, when you start digging down into it, you find more and more and more. I mean, it's almost like this is an inspired book from God, isn't it? Now, it is inspired, of course. I'm, I'm kind of joking about that. But as we look at this, this is, it's, it's obvious how David poured his heart into this. Now, let me ask you the question. To whom does this apply? Let me say, first of all, they do fit David's experience. David is expressing exactly what he's going through. You read the Psalms, and David—it starts off. Some of these Psalms, he is at the depths of of sorrow, and circumstances are overwhelming him, and he—he's honestly pours out his heart to the Lord. But by the end of the Psalm, he's got his theology right, he's got his thinking right, he's got his actions right, and his also his feelings right. We talked about a little bit at, at about these big words at camp this past week. Um, I learned one of these words at at. Um, at Ben Heffernan's ordination, never heard this word before, I heard of orthodoxy, so the right belief, I knew that growing up, but then this word that popped up at Ben's ordination, orthopraxy, what in the world is orthopraxy, well that's right actions, that's what we do, right belief is orthodoxy, right actions is orthopraxy, and there's another word, orthopathy, and that is the right feelings bringing everything into subjection of God's word. We think right, we believe right, we act right, correctly, and we also feel correctly. You say, I don't know if I can control my emotions or not. Well, the Bible says there's inordinate infections, affections that we should not be pursuing. We, we have them in the sense of our sinful nature, but we have to direct them under God's control of his word. So we, here we have David fits into the, it fits David's experience, but number two, it also fits the believer. This is a pattern and a model for us to follow. David finds his contentment in our Savior and Lord. And we can, he is a pattern for us to live a joyful, contented life. But also, I say that this was ultimately fulfilled in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the nature of scripture, the nature of prophecy in, in scripture um, that there, there is, a, for example, the, the man of sin prophesied in Daniel. There is a ultimate fulfillment of that which will be the antichrist but you see a historical figure along the way. There seems to be a cyclical uh, form of prophecy where you can see a type of fulfillment but ultimately fulfilled um, by um, the end times or whenever in the, the man of sin that's by the antichrist. The kingdom of God is the same way. Jesus will reign on this earth physically but he is reigning in our hearts of the believers right now. But he will ultimately fulfill his promise by his physical reign when he sits on David's throne. And we know where he will be geographically in this world, be in Jerusalem. What a joy that will be someday. But so this is the nature of the prophecy. So here, um, the process. I want us to see David tonight. He is acting in the face of adversity and he also provides a pattern for us to derive our satisfaction from his relationship with God. And Jesus Christ, his Savior. He looked forward to him. We look back at Jesus Christ. He was looking forward to the promised Messiah. So let's look at this, the contentment and the joy that David demonstrates. Let me give you several reasons. Number one, found in verse one, he is joyfully content because of his protection. He says, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. David relied on God for his protection. Now, David was not a wimpy guy. In fact, he was the giant killer. That's how he rose to prominence in a sense where he became known in the nation of Israel because he kills Goliath and he became a mighty warrior. And he was running from Saul. He collected this band of men around him and David's mighty men. Can you imagine walking uh, down the sidewalk and, and all of a sudden here comes a group of men towards you. And go, hey, here comes David and his mighty men. Oh, better get out of the way. I mean, these guys, now I'm sure they were polite and kind to the Israelites, but they were tough. I remember hearing a story of this, uh, these Navy SEALs that were on leave. They had a little time to go in town for some R&R and uh, they found this guy, this little uh, short little wimpy guy, a tech guy that was going to be their driver. So this little guy, scrawny guy is driving down and they're in this van that had no windows and about five Navy SEALs were back there. And uh, they pulled up to a light, and there was a guy, like a, like a gang, gangster type of guy, you know, and he wanted to pick on this guy. Say, said, hey, you, what you doing over there? And they're, they're giving this guy a hard time. They said, you know what, we're going to come over, and we're going to pick a fight with you. And so here comes the four or five gang members out of their car, you know, and they come over to this van. Well, all of a sudden, the side door opens up, and out come five Navy SEALs. <laughs> Who do you think won that battle? Yeah, you don't mess with Navy SEALs. David was that type of man but you know he didn't rely on himself solely for protection. He relied on his heavenly father. Oh God preserve me for in thee do I put my trust. I, I hear stories about these people that do rock climbing and they, they will uh, anchor something into the rock and put the ropes and they will climb up these, I mean cliffs, sheer cliffs and they go way up and there's somewhere out in California I saw a picture of this. These people are halfway up and they stop for the night. They put anchors in and they hang hammocks and they ha- and all this stuff and they are up above a hundred or more feet above the ground and they're going to sleep up there during the night. How many of you would love to do that? That'd be so exciting. You say, "Yeah, my two boy. Yeah, pray for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, over there too. Okay." Now you really have to put your trust in those little bolts that you hammered in the rock. Do you not? I mean, you think if you're if you're up there and you're, you're, the wind starts moving you blow and you're blowing your your hammock starts moving, you wonder is that thing inching its way out? I mean. You trust that, they trust that thing, I don't. They trust that thing completely, and David is doing that. But you know, if our protection is God, we can be content, can we not? Remember the three Hebrew children getting cast in the fiery furnace? They weren't, I'm sure they were, I mean, anyone would be hesitant about being thrown in the fiery furnace, but they knew God could protect them, but if he doesn't, we're in his hands. They were confident in the the protection of their God. They were content. Here is David. He is con- joyfully content because of his protection. Number two, it's the first part of verse 2. Joyfully content because he was submissive to God. Look at verse 2. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord. Notice in our authorized version, it's all caps here. That's Jehovah, Yahweh. The covenant God who would, who would never leave them. He loved them with everlasting love. He promised to take care of them. But then he says, thou art my Lord. That's that's a different, that's just the regular word that that means the master. So he's saying, the God that I serve, Jehovah God, he is the one that's in charge. He is my master. He is the Lord. So here we have David is is joyfully content because he was submissive to God. You know, it's, it's useless for us to fight God, is it not? But... We try to do that sometimes. We have suggestions for God or we try to lay out the plan. Lord, I want you to do this, but I want you to do it a certain way and by a certain time. Usually we put a time element on that, do we not? And Lord, if you don't do it by this time, then, then I, I'm going I'm to be really sad about this. And many, if not, if not most times, God doesn't do it our way. But are you willing to let God do it his way in your life? There, there are different circumstances for us. And we say, Lord, you are in charge, and I'm okay with that. There are times when, when children just, just resist the, the command of the parents' time. Say, you need to go do this. And they do it, but they, they, they complain, and they murmur, and they, they stomp, or whatever. And they're doing it, but they just resist, resist, resist. And you say, I can't believe those kids are like that. You know, we do that sometimes, do we not? Parenting helps us see our own heart, do we not? You tell your kids, don't do this, and the Lord's saying, you do that. Like, oh, that, that's, that's convicting. But David is joyfully content because he was submissive to God. Notice in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's the, the attitude of salvation, is it not? Submitting to God, coming in repentance of your sin, putting your faith and trust in Him. Saving faith rests completely on Jesus Christ and saving faith is submissive, total surrender. You know, I know it's possible, but it should be an abnormality of a Christian who is not submitting to the, to the Holy Spirit in their life. It is possible for somebody to be an adult and not, you know, to be 80 pounds or less. That, that's possible, but it, but it surely is not normal. David is joyfully content because he's submissive to God. Look at the second part of this verse. He says he is joyfully content because he depended on God's righteousness. Look at the second part of this verse. It says, uh, "My goodness extendeth not to thee." He said, "What in the world?" does that mean? Let me summarize it for you. It says, basically, saving faith understands there is nothing good of my own. My goodness doesn't affect God. In fact, there's a southern phrase uh, that, that, that this may have been from West Virginia, I'm not sure. I, there's, there, I've been a good lot of good people from West Virginia. Do you still claim West Virginia, Brother Harmon? Okay, good. I think this might have come there It says, maybe you've heard that, I can't do God no good. You ever heard that before? I can't do God no good. Now, what that means is we have nothing to contribute to this this equation here. Some people want to come to God and say, well, I'll make a deal with you. If if you do this, I'll do that. And God says, oh, that's a great deal. Okay, we have nothing to contribute. All of our goodness, anything good in us is from God working in us. Everything is is of of His working in us. Nothing of our own merits is that. So we can be joyfully content because we can depend on God's righteousness. You put it in the negative way, my good does not benefit God. The negative of the negative, which is the positive, is God's goodness. My goodness doesn't go to God, but in reality it's the other way around, is it not? God's goodness comes to me. And when you realize that, you can be joyfully content. God's goodness flows into my life every day. What a motivation to be joyfully content. Look at verse 3 says, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. I put it this way, joyfully content because David delights in the fellowship of believers. David is delighting in the God-fearing saints. Now in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to the cross. Uh, we're now in the New Testament, we have the church age. Where do we go to fellowship with the saints? Not Walmart. Not the political rally. Church. Do you delight in being around other believers? Joyfully content because David is delighting in the fellowship believers. He delights in being with the other God-fearing saints. Can I put it this way? This is pretty bold to say it this way. You can't love God and hate church. Do you believe that? Put it the other way. You can't hate church and be right with God. This is where it comes down to the rubber meat in the road, does it not? But when, when you are delighting in fellow believers, they're going to, they want to praise God. They want to serve God. They are on the same pathway. It is a joy and a delight to get with believers. I tell you, this, this whole thing, we've had to stop having church, I mean, that has been tough, hasn't it? I mean, you think, you know, it's sometimes you get into the routine like, oh, tomorrow's, you know, okay, I got to do this. We got to, you know, got to do the routine. All of a sudden, there's no opportunity for that. You think, boy, I missed that. Now we did the the Facebook stuff, and the first first week we did this, it was a disaster, I'm telling you. Um, my my uh, niece Hannah Ashbury, she's a student ambassador. She told me about um, uh, Dr. Um, who's the guy? The music guy did the skits up there. Um, Dwayne Reem, Yes, he did a skit up there. Yes, and he did a skit about the, all the, the, the problems with the sound. It's like, that's not funny. I lived through all of that, you know. But the idea of, of not being able to meet, boy, we missed it. And when we came back together for the first time, I was, I was not prepared for the emotional impact of our congregational singing. It sent chills up my back. Getting together with believers that serve the Lord and love the Lord, it is a thrill. Joyfully content because he delights in the fellowship of believers. Number five, verse four. David's joyfully content because he won't let the ungodly influence him. Look at verse four. It says, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. You know, the idea of serving something other than our savior does not bring happiness. Have you figured that out? There's, in, our, in our constitution, we have the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, that's because we can't get it, but we have the right to, to follow it. Happiness is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But he says, th- th- they have nothing to offer. The world can be so alluring at times. They present things. I was talking at camp. I said, you know, the best commercials during the Super Bowl are the beer commercials. It makes it look so fun and exciting. It's like, wow, if I, if I drank that, I would have all these friends. I'd be popular and all this stuff. No, that is not the case. It's false, you know, fake news. You know, fake news, <laughs> you hear that. Beer commercials make it look Great. But it's not anything that somebody, or the devil allures us with sin, does he not? Anything that looks great. You know, you have, you have an opinion, you want to say it loud and proud, you know, and say, you have the right to, to complain. As Americans we do, as believers we don't. He understands that, that he's not going to let the ungodly influence him. I remember preaching through John when he got down to um, the, the woman that anointed Jesus' feet with oil. And there was a complaint about that. Remember, there's a complaint going on. And if you look at the Gospels there, it started with Judas. He's the one who said, look at this. This woman could have sold this money. She's wasting this. But other books, it says all of the disciples did that. Isn't that interesting? I think it started with one complaining. That, yeah, yeah. And that's right. And it kind of became a complaining fest. And that is, an, that is the example of the ungodly affecting you. Just be determined. You're not going to let the ungodly influence you. Sorrow is in the path of the ungodly. He will not worship God in an ungodly way. We live in a world surrounded by the ungodly. You know, we have to be insulated from the world, do we not? But we cannot be isolated. We have to engage. We can't go pioneer another place somewhere just maybe... Uh Gage, look for a good, good place out up there in your, your country and see if we can, all the Christians go, no, no, we can't do that. We can't get out of the world, but we have to be isolated from the world. Not to let them influence us. We should be influencing them. He's joyfully content because he won't let the ungodly influence him. Number six, verse five. He is joyfully content because he focuses on the Lord. Now, notice here, he starts a series of metaphors. We understand what metaphors are. He said, you are like, okay... So, you know, I could say, Elijah, you are like a skunk on a garbage truck. Okay. Oh, maybe that's not a good metaphor. Okay, we could have, we could have uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Christina, you are a prairie sunrise. Whereas, you know, that, you know, okay, there's a metaphor, you know, okay. Now, he's using metaphors and he's, he's picturing his relationship with God. He is focusing on God. So here he's saying he's joyfully it because he focuses on the Lord. Look at verse five. Here's the metaphor The Lord is the portion. ...of mine inheritance and of my cup. There's a second metaphor. Thou maintainest my lot. Now he's talking about a lot. In verse 6, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Let's look at this just briefly in the time we have left. Let me say as David focuses on this, the, the, the reason he can be content is because he is focusing on the Lord. The best gift that God gives is himself. It's not salvation, it's not a home in heaven, it's not that we have our sins forgiven, it's not that we have Christian brothers and sisters in Christ and there's a good family there. The best gift God can use is himself. Have you figured that out? Jesus is the best gift in knowing him. ...the love that he shares with us throughout all eternity... ...he will be giving of himself to us. Look what he says here. Look what it says about these metaphors here. First of all, the portion of my inheritance... ...something that's in his possession now to be used and enjoyed. Remember the promised land was conquered by Joshua... ...and was divided by the tribe? And they had an inheritance they were to pass it down. This was your inheritance. This is the land that you had. Enjoy this. And he is comparing God as, as his inheritance here. Remember the Levites didn't get land... It says, the Lord was their portion. David is saying that he has God and that he has everything he needs. What a joy. The fulfillment and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And he calls him the cup. Now, when I say cup, what comes to your mind? We're in the book of Psalms. What comes to your mind? We can talk here. This evening. I know you know this answer. Yes. Okay, in the book of Psalms, what comes to mind when I say the, the cup... My cup runneth over. Say, so yeah, my kids do that. They run with water and they say, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about all the needs that we have. God provides for us. He not, only, he not only provides exactly what we need, He gives us more than we need and the abundant blessing that comes. So He compares the Lord to a cup and He provides even more. This is my lot, the boundaries of my life. In application, I think this includes all of His. Um, ...responsibilities and his, his circumstances, my lot, he says in verse 5... ...the Lord's, the portion of my inheritance and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. You know, God is the one that's involved with that. We have responsibilities, we have circumstances... ...and there are things that God has asked me to do that, that frankly I can't do. How, how do you be a godly father? How, how are you to be a godly husband? A son that honors your parents... That honors the Lord. How can you be the brother that God wants you to be? How can, you be, how can I be a pastor? Being a, I've never been a senior pastor before. How can I do this? I am so thankful God is the one that steps in and, and it says, I'm the one that's doing this. I'm dependent on Him. As a father, as a husband, I'm dependent on Him. I can't do this. And God asked me to do things I can't do for the reason that I have to come to him and ask him. I can't do it on my own strength. Sometimes I, I, I look at myself and say, yeah, I've got some strengths and I've got some weaknesses. You know what i found that when I am asked to do something in my strengths, I say, yeah, I got this. I don't need the Lord's help, I don't need to pray because this is my strength. Guess what? I fall flat on my face, usually. But then there are times when I have a weakness and someone says, I want you to do this or you need to do this, and I say, Lord, I can't do this. And I, I said, Lord, if this happens, I've got to trust you and do that. You know what happens? It gets done a lot better than when I'm trying to do it. And my weakness magnifies the grace of God. So he says, my lot. And then he says, look at he says, my line, the lines in verse 6 are fallen unto me in pleasant places. If we had more time, I'd ask you to see what that, that is. What it is, is the division of the promised land. Remember, they went in and they drew out the map, and then they divided the portions, 12 portions. And then they decided, they said, okay, whoever has the biggest tribe can pick first. Is that right? No, they cast lots. Isn't that interesting? Now, these land uh, portions were all different. There were some that that had mountains in them. Judah had Jerusalem, the mountains there. Some were by the the Mediterranean Sea. They had uh, access to the the ocean out there. Some were up in the north, fertile farming land. Some were down near the Jordan River. Some were down by the Dead Sea. All of those, they were all different... And here is David using that as a metaphor saying, you know what, whatever fell to me is good. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. You know what he's saying is, is he's comparing that to his life. Just like the land in the promised land was different geographically, they had different natural resources. We all come from different backgrounds and different places. We're all different ages, except for the twins over here. You come from different homes, except for the brothers and sisters in the room. You, you're, some of you are born in different states. Some are, are born in different countries. Maybe I don't know, uh, but we all have—we've had different economic backgrounds. Some of us grew up very, very poor. Some grew up with—with with more. I didn't—I didn't know didn't how—how whether we were poor or not. I just—I liked um, spam and I liked hot dogs. You know, what I mean? you know and and, uh, and uh, scrapple. You know that, that, I, I liked that stuff. I didn't know it was any—you didn't eat that stuff growing up. I just—I didn't know that. We have different, we have different um, educational backgrounds. Some of us have different intellectual opportunities and abilities. Some are, are much smarter than others. Kind of like, um, where's the teenager boy? that? I No, never mind. Okay, that's... But, uh, but all of that, we're all different. And we're all walking in different parts of our life. We all have different backgrounds, different circumstances. But you know, can you see God directing in your life? Can you say this evening, coming from different backgrounds... The Lord, the, the lines have fallen in my life in pleasant places. You know, that's God's providential working in your life. No matter where, you're, where you come from, no matter what you're going through, can you see that God is working there? Can you be joyfully content in the fact that God is enough? The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. It's interesting being in my brother's church today. He preached a Father's Day message. Told me some things I didn't know about my dad. He he died when I was three years old, and I heard stories about when he was growing up. Our grandfather, whom I never met, was an alcoholic, and he would come home drunk and try to beat up his wife, and that would be my grandmother. So my dad, many times as a teenager, stood between his alcoholic dad and his mother, says, "You're not going to beat her up today." I didn't have that background. But there my father, he was, he was converted out of Roman Catholicism. I was raised without a father, but you know, God has worked in my life. I can say God has worked wonderfully in my life. The lines have fallen in pleasant places. We have different circumstances, but God is working each of our life for his honor and for his glory. So David is content. He says, I will, uh, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Verse 7, and we'll be done. I'll bless the Lord who hath given me counsel... My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. That word reins is a very interesting word. It means kidneys. My kidneys. You say, what do I want? Have kidneys instruct me in the night. What's that talking about? It's talking about his inner, inner being, his inner soul. We say heart, we, some say bowels in the New Testament. This is the idea. Now, what is he talking about? Is he talking about self-introspection? And if you think really hard enough, you can figure out the answer. No. When you look at this verse, we must never separate God's word from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God have to be connected. When you separate that, you have all kinds of aberrant thinking and aberrant religions. You have to separate the two things together. And by nature, um, but this poetry here, he says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. Where's the counsel of the Lord? Where do we find the counsel of the Lord? It's in the word of God. Do you want to know the mind of God? Go to the Word of God. You say, I rely on the Spirit of God. Yes, but the Spirit of God, using the Word of God in your life, you can't separate the two. So here we have in the first part, God has given him counsel, where? In the Word of God. Look at the second part there, it says, my reins also instruct me in the night season. Now that's talking about his inner being, giving him some instruction, but you have to link that to the Word of God. You know what he's saying here? He is saying, I have saturated my mind and meditated in God's word so much so that when I go to sleep at night, I'm thinking about the words of, 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 the, of, of the Bible, God's word in my life. And there are times, and I think Spurgeon has a quote that I'll just summarize here. He says, "When many times when I'm in my bed at night, I'm away from the distractions of the world and the passions I'm going through. It's in the night season that God speaks to me through the word of God. We're meditating on it. We're thinking about it. We're, we're, uh, we're working through that. Now it's interesting, I heard a story that, that um, there, there's an old, old adage that says that preaching is the art of speaking in someone else's sleep. People sleep while sometimes some preachers preach... Spurgeon actually turned that around. Spurgeon actually preached a message in his sleep. Have you heard that story? He preached a message one time. He, he was, he was tossing, and turning He was talking. He woke his wife up. He was preaching the message. So his wife got out a pad and wrote down what he was preaching. In the morning he woke up and she gave him his message. And I'm told he went that Sunday. That was a Saturday night. He went that Sunday and preached that message. Now that's, that's unbelievable. That is immersing yourself in the Word of God. Is it not? There's probably another joke Luke added to that. We'll have to find out later about that. But the idea that, that uh, he was joyfully content because his focus was on God's word. There's others in that passage, but well, this is enough time. But let me ask you tonight. Are you joyfully content or do things have you out of, out of control? I, you know, there's, it's funny. I. I, um, I was telling somebody, I said, you know, probably in the past three and a half years, I have probably only watched sports and news for the most, you know, it's like sports and news. I obsess on some of this stuff. But after a while, you have to just turn it off. Now, I know some people um, that, this is on Facebook, so I won't tell you it's my brother. But, but uh, he watches it. He gets mad. I mean, he like physically, I'm like, oh, we got to turn this stuff off. This is me. And you know, I was like, calm down. you know It's just, you know, just, they're just, you know, let's, I can listen to it and kind of turn the emotions off. But there's a time when we have to be focused on God's word. Or else, sometimes we, we lose our contentment. It's like, they're, they're tearing down statues in our country. They're, they're wanting to wipe away the founding fathers. I mean, there's a lot to be upset about um, right now. There, there's, there's vandalism and looting. I mean, it's on I mean, the, the news. I mean, it, it, is, it is getting out of control. And we can lose our contentment. But we have to focus back on the Lord. We don't put our whole head in the sand. We're aware. We know what's going on, we try to do what we can do, but don't lose your contentment because no matter what happens, we can be joyfully content because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian tonight, you have no contentment. You're following the pursuit of happiness. You can read that last verse there. You're not going to have fullness of joy. It's not possible if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. True happiness and contentment only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope we remember this. Read this again. Just, it's just a, a blessing to me. Uh, it warmed my heart as I see this. David went through a, t- a lot of tough stuff. But he was joyfully content. I hope that you are as well. As pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, I know many times we can go through circumstances. A phone call or a letter or an email or a text or a confrontation or watching the news or just on and on and on. Lord, we can get in a state where we lose our joyful contentment. Lord help us to. And Lord if we have lost our joy. That we would come back to you and repent. Say Lord why have I lost my joy. As David says in another psalm. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe there's sin in our life. Lord that we've lost our joy. Maybe we're living for ourself. We haven't submitted to your, to your leadership in our life. Maybe we're living for our own pleasure. For our own joy. Uh, goals in life we haven't surrendered to you. Lord, help us to, to, as Christians, Lord, just have a vibrant, joyful contentedness about us. Help us to shine brightly in a dark world. Use your word tonight as the Holy Spirit, using the word in hearts tonight to encourage us, to conform us to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray.